Hi everyone, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Seth. And I'm Sam. And today we're thrilled to have Professor Nick Susanis with us. Nick Susanis is an Eisner-winning comics author and assistant professor in humanities and liberal studies at San Francisco State University, where he's also starting a comics studies program. He received his doctorate in education at Teachers College at Columbia University in 2014, where he wrote and drew his dissertation entirely in comic book form. Titled Unflattening, it argues for the importance of visual thinking in teaching and learning, and was published by Harvard University Press in 2015. To start off, we like to ask our guest about an inflection point, a time in their life where they had to pivot in their career or personal lives. Can you share such a moment with us? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I mean, I think it's going to be a little harder to say it's a singular point, but uh, I was a comics maker as a kid. I, was, I made my own, you know, printed and sold my own comic. And uh, when I went to university, the age you guys are, I it wasn't like the intellectual thing you did. Um, I did mathematics. I, I did lots of other things um, that were supposed to be serious. And it's really not till this is where it's not a point, but it's m many years later that I kept, I was sort of doing comics, but it wasn't like the thing I did. And as I came back to them and started making them, I saw the potential for them. Um, I realized, and this was sort of the point, that, that when I went to doctoral school, like that was it. I could now, I could do this thing that I loved doing my whole life. And it didn't have to be this thing in the background. It didn't have to be as entertainment, but it could actually be my source of scholarship, my source of doing my work and I could integrate those things. So it's sort of a long point. It's at this point where it was suppressed for a long time. And then in my, you know, sort of a decade after, after my undergrad where I said, oh, this is, I can do this for real and I can, you know, I can reach a lot of people with it and I can do more serious work than I'm doing when I'm using other forms of, of communication. Yeah, so um, what were some of the indications, I guess, or, um, kind of the signs that this thing that you kind of were doing, um, you were passionate about, but it wasn't something that you thought could be done full time or you could um, devote everything into. What were some of the indications that kind of made you realize it was something you can pursue um, as you do now? Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's, it's a great, I mean, it's sort of a slow evolution. That's why I had trouble with the point. I mean, there'd been certainly things like Mouse by Arx Beagleman, Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics, uh, Persepolis by Marjan Satrapi. There'd been these things out there that said, oh, comics are being accepted in classrooms and a scholarship. Um, so there were these things out there that I knew about. Um, and it's in my own case, I, I, I ran a magazine about art and culture in Detroit. And uh, I was in an art show. They invited me to be in an art show around the 2004 election. And I turned to making comics because I just didn't have time. And I thought, well, I can make a comic quick because that's I'm I'm, I'm versed in that. Um, and what I did in that, like, I started to hit some sort of themes about communicating and trying to cross political boundaries, uh, uh, barriers, probably more than boundaries. Like, try to reach across aisles with it. And I did that. And then shortly after that, we did an exhibition of games and art. And I did this comic about games and the history of them and the rules. And it was this long form comic exploring exploring what games are and how they were important to education. And that was really this sort of seminal piece that I, you know, I could come to Columbia University and said, I can make comics that are about serious educational material, um, but they feel like they're, they feel like they're something everyone can read because everyone can read them, but they're not simple. They're not like dummy's guide to 
educational thing. They're, they're really deep stuff. And all this, you know, now I'm bringing all these skills and all my passions and putting it together with my interests on the academic side. Given that you want to pursue comics more seriously, what led you to decide to use them for education as opposed to particularly comic related? Yeah, um, I mean, so I, I'm the child of two educators, so it, it was always something that's important to me. And um, I, I taught tennis, so I was, a, you know, I was on the court teaching a lot, and I, I see those things as very similar to what I do in the classroom. Um, that I started looking at all the things I did in my life. I ran an arts magazine. I, I did some gallery work. That that even in those things, I was trying to figure out ways to educate people. You know, I, was do I did many different things in my life before I came back to doctoral school. But at the core of them was the, whether they were in an official academic or educational setting or not, was was a belief that there were things people needed to understand, and the the only reason they didn't is they didn't have access to it. So my goals with with the magazine was like, how can I make you understand why this kind of art is important for you, for your community? And with this show, why do you want to understand the process behind these things are made? And with my comics, it's like, I have some big ideas, and I think you can understand them too, and maybe they'll be useful to you. So so I, 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 s I saw that the sort of through line of my life, which wasn't so evident maybe as I was living it, was, was that everything was inherently trying to be educational. Um, and so then I was like, well, Maybe I ought to make this official, you know? Um, so you mentioned you studied mathematics in college, yeah. and um, you said you did some teaching regarding tennis, and I, I, my understanding, you played at a professional level even. Yeah. Um, but then transitioned into the world of art and higher education, like you said. Um, and maybe maybe to you, it, it, they are all interconnected in a, in a very um, kind of easy way to follow, but I think to many of our listeners and some people um, on the outside, it might see kind of how they relate together. And I was just curious what that transition was like. Well, I mean, I should say they're, they're not, they were never s done at separate times. So like I, I taught tennis all the way to my final year of doctoral school to make my living. And, you know, it's just part of my life since I was a little tiny kid. So, um, so I mean, I think that's a big part of my work is that we tend to put things in these separate boxes. We say, mm -hmm. well, oh, you're an art person. You can't be a mathematics person. Oh, and you're an athlete. You're not supposed to be into the arts or, you know, I mean, you're, you're, we're in these boxes. And I think these boxes are, they're just made up. They're made up by us. And we start believing them and start saying, you know, the art kids say, oh, I can't do the numbers or whatever. And the math kids are, well, I mean, the math kids are a little more open to art, I think. But, but there are these kind of weird <laughs> barriers. Right. And, and I think I was really fortunate. I think it has a lot to do with my parents that were both did a lot of different things, but also were really supportive of me doing a lot of different things. So I, I never knew any better to like stay in those boxes. And I was mm -hmm. always, as a student, very uncomfortable when you're like, when you, s you said before the interview, like the sort of the uncertainty you feel, I, I always felt very un uncomfortable trying to have to make those decisions. Like, am I gonna be this kind of person or this mm -hmm. kind of person? I'm like, I'm me. And these are things I'm curious about, and why not just follow my curiosity and wherever my, my interests take me? Uh, unflattening was the first dissertation to be uh, written entirely in comic book form. Uh, how was it received by your friends, your family, and your professors? Um, I mean, they knew it was coming. So it's not like, you know, I, I, I was admitted to a doctoral program with some of these comics I mentioned before as like part of my package, like this is what I want to do. So they were receptive to it 
receptive to it coming in. Not sure. I mean, some of my peers in the program maybe were a little more hesitant about it. Just, you know, I think either nervous for me or like, why can't I do that? Um, my advisors were, I think, ready to see something different. It's not like they knew anything about comics, um, but they were ready to see something different. I think the fact that I came as an older student, you know, I wasn't a, I wasn't a 22-year-old coming to doctoral school, so I had a lot of experience and a lot of stubbornness. Um, like, I can do this stuff. And I had a lot of experience making comics, even if not on a professional level at that point. So, um, and my family, certainly very supportive. I think my family is really supportive. And I think to see something I'd done my whole life now sort of blossom in this this sort of very roundabout way, um, it, it, it mostly support. I don't. I had very little. There are naysayers out there. They exist, but they weren't in my circles. Um, so earlier, you kind of talked about how um, reading reading comics can be uh, more complex than you than you might expect. And I was, and that's something I discovered in doing in doing in preparing for this interview. Yeah, um, I, I came across comics and. It, it, it took me a little longer than I expected. And I was just curious if you can kind of talk to writing comics and kind of creating comics and how that differs from, say, traditional just traditional writing or traditional um, drawing, just the kind of the intersection of the two. Yeah, I mean, well, number one, the comics are really complex. I mean, they're hard I, to read out loud to another mm -hmm. person. I had my students try that this semester. Um, I've been doing it since my daughter was two. She's now five now to, like, just like where do you go you know right. like it's it's tricky to do if you're not versed in them and then if you're reading to another person there's a lot of pointing um and it really makes you a careful reader because you have to pay attention to all these different parts and i think i think really accelerates reading in terms of literacy but in terms of making them the hard part about your question is i think everybody's process is pretty idiosyncratic so there are like you know if you read marvel comics or dc comics they tend to be written by someone who writes a script and says, all right, on this page, five panels, and in this panel, somebody's punching, and in this panel, somebody's shout, whatever. You know, they have some description, but, you know, a lot of dialogue. Um, and then it gets passed off to someone else who draws it, right, or turns it into, into uh, images. Um, my process, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just one person, so I do all of that. But on top of that, there's no – I don't write stories right now. I mean, these are – sort of essays or philosophical excursions or something. So my work doesn't have a script in advance. Um, it has a lot of sketches. I make these big sketch maps on newsprint where I'm like trying to, like I have things I'm curious about and I'm like, oh, what does it feel like? What is it, what are some images that work? And then that starts to suggest things that I've read or that I've been researching for the project. And I start making these sort of drawn notes um, and I look at them. And I look at them as I and I start to see new things in my sloppy my sloppy drawings. Like say, oh well, maybe I really meant this by that. And then it starts to teach me things. So so in my case, my process is extremely iterative through the drawings. Um, the the drawings sort of teach me where I want to go, and they often prompt me to do more research in new directions than I expected. Um, but you know, like I said, if I was writing an adventure comic or like a superhero comic that I wrote in high school. I think it'd be a little more straightforward. Like there'd be a plot and there'd be a start and an end, and like I need a big action scene here, and that that's a little little bit more linear process. I at least as I see it. Sometimes in philosophy or economics or anything, I notice you you make assumptions to reduce the dimensionality of problems. Um, 
make them more tractable. Uh, but in making comics, you're essentially being offered that you're, you're increasing the dimensionality. So do you think there are some problems that are so complex that they would be infeasible to, to approach using the comic book format? That's a fantastic question. Um, I mean, my quick answer is no. I think there's nothing you can't do in comics. But um, I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I think you have to be very creative in your solutions. I mean, certainly you can talk about anything in comics, right? Like you can, the same way you could make a documentary about something or an educational program about something, right? You could talk about those things and use pictures. And um, I'm a little more interested in how you can use the very form of the comic to like, like feel those ideas. Um, and I, the more abstract you get into the kinds of thoughts here, which I think is where you're going with this, like wh how do you deal with some of those really abstract concepts? I think it gets tricky and it requires a lot of creativity on the, the maker's part and, uh, and really knowing the subject. Like, like you have, you can't fake it. Like you can't, um, if, if, you, if I want to make something that can teach a bunch of other people about it and really understand that, I'd have to know it s incredibly well. Um, which I think is the hard part. That's why we don't haven't seen a ton of these kinds of comics because you're you're asking to have someone who's both skilled enough as a as an artist and also versed enough in whatever the field is to pull that off. Um, and I think that's just a difficult challenge. But I think it's changing. I think you're seeing more comics programs in school, and you're seeing people who aren't necessarily schooled as artists. I mean, my students tend to not be drawers like by training at all, but but they take to it very quickly and they can ask the questions in their programs. So I think you're going to see a lot more of it. Um, I think it's a wonderful question. Uh, it, it, it's hard to answer it with any definitive sense, but yeah. Um, so you mentioned kind of the emergence of these new um, comic teaching programs. Yeah. And I was, I was curious kind of what you've gained um, as a professor um, that, uh, as a professor teaching comics that you um, kind of weren't able to understand or weren't able to discover as someone who appreciates comics or someone who creates them? Um, what has this role of a, as a professor taught you? Yeah, that's great. Um, I mean, certainly I learn a lot about the form all the time. And a lot of things from Unflattening came from my teaching. You know, a lot of the kinds of things I wanted to explore about how the form worked um, came from things I was trying to explain in class. Um, and certainly things my students do. I mean, I have students again, who mostly are non-drawers, especially at that time, because I was, I was at like School of Education teaching classes, so you know, maybe once in a while I'd have somebody with drawing experience, but, um, but their capacity to like go leaps and bounds and how they use the form to, to tackle their stories or express their ideas, um, it really taught me a lot about, just about a lot about how to use the form, and, and really a lot about how people are how capable they are I mean I think that tendency is to say well there are you know these people can't draw right mm -hmm. like but it's just not true it's like it, like if we think of drawing as a particular kind of like dexterity with the hand that gets more complicated but if we think about how do you sort of organize meaning in a spatial kind of arrangement everybody can do it and and I think to the question before like as people realize that it gives them I mean, this is, I'm not an anti-writing person at all. Mm -hmm. It sometimes sounds like that because I'm such a like proponent of, of comics, but 
it's it's when you have more tools at your disposal, what what can you ask that you couldn't ask before? What can you start to understand that, that maybe it's just words just don't do enough for you? Um, and pictures give you this other kind of insight. Yeah, and um, just to follow up, yeah. um, you say you're not an anti-writing person. I agree because in my experience um, preparing for this interview and reading comics, I, I think I discovered you have to be much more clever or, or maybe even um, calculated um, with, with the words you use when you pair them with images. Um, I was just wondering if you can kind of speak to the process of organizing words to go along with panels or images um, and kind of how that process is different from your typical just essay format organizing words in a specific yeah, I mean, that's, again, idiosyncratic to my method. Or I mean, if I was writing dialogue for, for characters doing things, I don't think it's all that different, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, people say the things they say. It doesn't really matter what form it's in. Um, but in the kinds of ways that you try to get sort of resonance between your images and your text, mm -hmm. ways that, you know, you might use a word that's, like, saying something to the image, even though it's not, like, par part of the narrative. Um, which makes like a, a nightmare for a translator where mm -hmm. like the translation's simple but now all of a sudden you've got a word that doesn't mean that it doesn't have the same visual connotations that right. that other the word in the original language had um so i think that that kind of play between it is an enormous challenge mm -hmm. if, if that's your goal with it and for me um you know i i'm Images are very often suggesting the words that I might use, and words are very often suggesting the pictures I might draw, and that sort of dynamic between them, I think, is always pushing me into a new place that I didn't expect. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the exciting part. Like, if I just like wrote a bunch of words and then said, well, what pictures am I gonna add to them? It'd kind of be done already. Mm -hmm. You know, it'd be just like, it's like illustrate, you know, I'm just like adding things to it. But, but when they're working together, it really, it changes how I think, and I, I don't claim to really understand that yet. I think mm -hmm. I'm still, I still have so much to learn that I, that I don't really get it. But I watch it myself, and then I see it in my students who have like a fraction of the experience that I have. Your work with comics has has been a way to show people that there are more mediums of communication or tools that at our disposal that we can use for communicating. Um, I'm curious, what what other sorts of mediums have you thought about that that could fill a similar role like could be like kind of games or toys or things like that yeah certainly game i mean i despite having made this comic con games i don't i'm not much of a game player but i really believe in that i mean i've seen what they do and I, i've read about what they do so i'm i believe that strongly um i, I kind of think anything i think one of my favorite things um uh, a student at the university of maryland baltimore county in a class that taught unflattening, she ended up making a dance performance based on the book and then continued to do her work um, just dealing with women and violence towards women in dance form. Uh, and I can't remember if she's a sociology major, some, something along those lines. Um, and I think what you know, she'd had dance experience and choreography experience, but I think what happened for her is this thing that was like her sort of side activity all of a sudden made its way back in to her work and became a way that she could handle some things that weren't so, she didn't have great ways to handle them without it. And so in sort of trying this thing, it grew into something that I think she's now made an ongoing thing, it might show up in her master's work. So I, I, I don't, I think it's hard to anticipate, like like 
I wouldn't want to do a dance thing. Like I would be very like I I'm not I don't have those kind of affordances in me, but I'm interested in it and its possibilities. And so I, I, I think the more you sort of think about the role of the arts or the body as a as a part of your scholarship, the the more the more possibilities you get. Um, and unfortunately, we only have time yeah, for yeah. Um, one more question. So, um, and it's kind of a two-part question here. Um, so, again, what tips um, do you have or resources um, might you recommend for, for someone or students interested in incorporating either drawing or comics um, into their own work? And then the second part would kind of be what tips and advice would you have for students who, who kind of were in the same boat as you where they are very passionate about this thing, but they can't see it as something to do for a living or, or to devote all their time to, what kind of tips and advice would you give to them? Whew. Well, the living one, that's a whole other, <laughs> I don't know that I can say much about that. Um, but the, the tips and advice, I mean, I think first of all, read comics. Second of all, make them. And you don't have to be good. You, I mean, make comics about your day, make comics about your cat, make comics, whatever. Like, the making of them teaches you what to do. And the kinds of things... I do with my students, you know, they say, well, what do you teach your students? I don't really think I teach them all that much. What I do is I put them through, uh, you know, I say, here's a prompt. I want you to make something about this. And then you come back, and then we look at what different students have done. You compare with their own, and you start to learn about your own work from, from making it. So I think that's key. If you want some, like, resources for making, um, I think Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics is a fantastic one. His uh, follow-up, Making Comics, is a fantastic one. Uh, Linda Berry, the cartoonist, has a, a book called Syllabus about her teaching, and then I think she has one now called Making Comics, which I haven't seen yet, but just came out. Uh, Matt Madden and Jessica Abel have a textbook of called Drawing Words and Writing Pictures. Um, my own website, I post all the things I do in my classes. I have like all the exercises, student work, um, books, just whatever. I mean, I think you start looking for resources on this, it's out there. And then find people who make them. I mean, I think every community there are makers. You know, talk to them, show up at places that they're having, you know, drawing sessions or talk sessions. Um, I think the, the key is to dive in. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, we have a lot, like, I want to do this, but I'm scared I'm not going to be any good. You just make things and you see where it takes you. Okay, great. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us Yeah, today. thank you. And um, to all our listeners, remember to stay hungry. <laughs>